0: Well, we're, we're in a series right now. This is week two of a series. We're simply uh, titling by our, our key character, Elisha, in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bible, I want you to get it with me. Open it up to the book of 2 Kings. And I know you're just getting comfortable and settled in, but I want to ask you to stand with me for the reading of, <coughs> of the text today. This is such an incredible story. I've read it uh, more times than I can count in the last few weeks. And I'm just going to assume that maybe you didn't get up and read it this morning before church. And so before we get into the message, I want to just saturate our minds a little bit with where we're headed. This is, this is an awesome story. I'm going to read a little bit of a lengthy portion, but I just don't know where to quit. So I'm going to read several verses. 2 Kings chapter eight, or chapter eight, 6, verse 8 is where we're going to begin. <coughs> and it says... Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place. Because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. Verse 11, this enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and he demanded of of them. (coughs) He said, tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words that you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dauphin. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. <laughs> Listen to verse 16. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with him. Amen. This is how I fight my battle. Yes, <laughs> and Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord. So that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Mm. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this story in the word of God. A word that is alive and active and speaking as clearly today as it did to that servant that day. That, God, you want to open the eyes of your people to see into the supernatural realm. God, I have been guilty at times of raising my eyes no farther than to see the enemy approaching. But, God, may we lift our eyes higher today. And may we recognize there are more for us than there are against us. God, give us eyes of faith today to believe that victory is ours. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 You can be seated today. We're in this message series. We're calling it Elisha, but really what we're talking about is the favor of God in the life of his people. We're talking about God's favor on our lives, and and we said this last week, but in case you missed it, it bears worth repeating, because I don't want you to misunderstand the word today. The favor of God cannot be earned. You can't earn it. In fact, if if you're saved, if you accepted Jesus into your heart, if he's the Lord of your life, can I just tell you, you're favored. Okay? You are highly favored. Because there is nothing greater that God could do for any human being than to snatch them out of the the grip of darkness and sin and reproach. And bring them into his marvelous, saving, and eternal light. That's favor. But... I couldn't get past what the Word of God says in Luke 2.52. It says that Jesus grew in favor with God. Which tells me that there's something more that we can have of the favor of God. Not that salvation's not enough. I mean, if He never does another thing for me, I'm going to praise Him all the days of my life. But Jesus, who was perfect, who was sinless, who was the image of God in bodily form... Grew in favor. So that tells me that I can grow in favor with God. If you're a note taker, I want you to understand right here at the beginning of this message. The favor of God is the grace of God. It's the grace of God. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. It's favor. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians 2 verse 4. Because of his great love for us. Check this out. God. Who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. That verse communicates to us that the reason we're in is because of his favor and his grace and his love towards us. He was rich in mercy when we were rich in transgressions. And it's not fair. You know, we live in a world where people are crying out for fair. Give me It's it's an entitlement day that we live in. Can I tell you, there's nothing fair about the God. If it was fair, we'd all be going to hell. Because we're sinners. Should have got at least one amen on that. We are sinners. I mean, you know, take your halo off. It's the truth. Confession's good for the soul. We are sinners. Come on now. Don't lie to me on Sunday morning. If it was fair... We're doomed. It's not fair. It's favor. <clears throat> the grace of God is the favor of God. And I'm going to tell you how good his favor is. The next verse says there in Ephesians 2, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. That's a seat of honor. I mean, he didn't just rescue you. He cleaned you up. He gave you a place of prominence. We're seated in high places today. That's a seat of honor. That's highly favored. The next verse, it gets better. The next verse says, in order that, this is why he did it, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You know what that verse says? That verse says that the grace of God, the favor of God is so incomparable, so lavish, so rich that he's going to spend all of eternity to come, in the ages to come, just revealing to us how good he is, just revealing to us how much favor he has lavished upon us. In the ages to come, he's gonna show us how incomparable his riches and his grace are towards us. Listen, heaven is gonna be one continuous show and tell of the favor of God. Isn't that awesome? The Bible says he makes all things new in heaven. Every day, I think he's just gonna show more favor. He's just gonna do something new, something incredible. And we're going to spend all of eternity trying to grasp the grace of God. The next verse says, it is by grace that you've been saved. Through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is the gift of God. The favor of God is the grace of God. And we've been looking at the life of Elisha, and the reason is because as, as I and there's a lot of great characters we could look at, but I think Elisha just epitomizes the kind of person in the Word of God that experienced the favor of God on their life. I mean, above and beyond, a double portion kind of favor. And, and last week we started with with the beginning of his story, and I want to just kind of paraphrase it and, and review it for those that were here because. How his story started is so significant to how the rest of it played out. But Elisha was a young man. He was living in a place called Abel Mahola. That probably doesn't mean anything to you, but the the interpretation means dancing meadow. He was living in a beautiful scenic area right in the breadbasket of the Jordan River Valley. And he's plowing behind the 12th team of his oxen. So we know right away this young man has wealth. He's got 12 teams of oxen. He's got got a great life going. He's got a lot to look forward to, a lot to to just build towards. And it's on that journey behind a plow that the old prophet Elijah comes over and throws his cloak on Elisha's shoulders, signifying that Elisha was going to be the next person to carry the mantle of the prophet. He's going to be the next prophet in Israel Bible says that Elisha did something incredible in that moment. Not only did he go and follow the old prophet and begin to serve him, the Bible says he went back to his farm and he burned all of his plowing equipment and he took the oxen and he barbecued the oxen on the fire of his plowing equipment and then he threw a big party and had a feast with all of his friends. Essentially, what Elisha did in that moment is not only did he say, I want whatever God wants for my life, he absolutely, well, he ate plan B. I mean, let's be honest. That's what he did. I mean, he cooked it up and he ate plan B. I, if I can take the analogy way too far, he digested plan B and he got it out of his system. And that's what some of you need to do. You need to go way beyond the point of Vying for your options and say, you know what, God? I'm all in. I want what you want and nothing else. And that was the heart and the tenacity of Elisha. It was a radical obedience. That radical obedience set him on a course to make a bold request of the old prophet Elijah. And we talked about this last Sunday. His bold request was, I want a double portion of the anointing that you carry. I want a double portion of your spirit. And I just want to tell you today, the reason that Elisha could make such a bold request of God is because he wasn't holding anything back from God. Now, I'm making an assumption here, but let me just venture out to say that the reason a lot of us don't make big requests of God is because we haven't gone all in with God. You're you're hesitant to ask God for a lot of things because you haven't given God everything. Everything. But Elisha didn't live in that reality. Elisha gave it all to God. He said, I'm yours. I I want what you want for me. And he was unashamed to ask for bold things from God. And can I just say to you today, if you would be willing to give God everything, you can ask God for anything. The Bible says he wants to give us the desires of our heart. But our hearts have to be fully committed to him. And when your heart is fully committed to God, you can ask audacious, bold prayers. If you'll give God everything, you can ask him for anything. And Elisha received that mantle. He received that double portion anointing. And in his lifetime, we have recorded in scripture 28 miracles. That's twice the miracles that Elijah had performed in his 14 miracles. I wanna tell you today, Elisha had a choice just like you do just like I do he could have lived out his days in the dancing meadow And there is always going to be an easier road But rarely does it ever lead to the favor of god God gives us an opportunity In life to pursue him with with a reckless abandon to pursue him to go all in on what god wants to do And I I just want to challenge you today If you're measuring your obedience if you're, if you're hedging your bets, if you're, if you're considering your options, I just want to challenge you. Go all in. Go all in with what God has for your life. Go all in with your commitment to the Lord. Stop worrying about what you're going to have to leave and start dreaming about what God might want you to receive. There may be 28 miracles on the other side of your step of faith. But how many of you know it's true? Most of the church won't see those. Right? Right? We won't see them because it's easy to ask for a new thing. But I've discovered that change is a two-sided coin. you got to come in with the new, absolutely, but you also got to go out with the old. Right? I mean, it's easy to say, God, pour out the new wine. But it's hard to receive a new wineskin when we're comfortable with the old one. I was thinking about this verse in Revelation chapter 3. It describes... Jesus and the words that he's speaking to the church at Philadelphia. Listen to this verse, Revelation 3, 7. He says, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I'm telling you, God can open doors and God can close doors. And I've discovered in my life a lot of times that... The door that God wants to open, he doesn't open until he's already closed the other door behind you. Any, anybody ever had that awkward moment where you felt like you were living in God's hallway? <laughs> right? Like, God's, God's doing something in your life. You're like, that season's over, and you close the door, and you're like, what now? I, I was thinking about my wife and I's story. Before we came to this church, God had dealt with our heart about a door that he was closing, We had served at the same church for 10 years. We had served under our pastor for 16 years. But but we felt God was calling us into a new season and that he was closing a door. Problem with that was is he didn't show us the next door. And as we walked in obedience and kept stepping towards that door, we kept stepping into the unknown until finally the Sunday came. Where God had made it so clear it was time for this door to close. And, And I stood at the pulpit at our church in mesquite texas and i announced our resignation and i told the church that we were stepping out on faith and we were following the leading of the lord and to be honest i even told them i said if i knew where he was leading this would be easier (laughs) and i'm sure they probably all thought i was crazy like why, why would you why would you do that why would you say i'm leaving but you don't actually know where you're going you're not leaving you just don't have a job anymore Or a house, because you sold that, right? I it, what I didn't know was that the same Sunday morning, the pastor of this church stood right where I'm standing, and unbeknownst to any of the congregation or any of the leadership, he said, "My wife and I feel the Lord is leading us in a different direction, and He's closing this door, and we are resigning today." So God, God opened a door. After I had already allowed another door to close and, and, and that's not a place I want to be all the time But that's the place that sometimes god leads us to why because wouldn't it be great if god always showed you the sign and then we follow But that's not what the bible says. In fact, the bible says the off, the opposite of that the bible says the signs Will follow them that believe So we're saying god if you'll show me a sign i'll believe and god says if you'll believe i'll follow with a sign And we stand On the precipice of favor. And we miss out on the double portion. Because we're not willing to let go of plan B. And launch into the unknown. Of what God wants for us. When we look at the life. Of Elisha. We see that evidenced. Time and time again. I want to tell you. God's favor. Finds. God's faithful. It's not. It's not fair. It's not God picking favorites. He doesn't have favorites, but he does have favor. And God's favor finds God's faithful when we just make up our mind to continue to walk in his will, to let him establish our steps. We're going to get back to 2 Kings, but let me give you one more verse. Psalm chapter 84, verse 11 says, the Lord is a son of And a shield. In other words, the Lord is the sun that lights the path you're on. And the Lord is a shield to protect you on the path that he's lighting for you to be on. It says the Lord bestows favor and honor. Now grab a hold of this with your heart. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Now now he doesn't mean perfect people because then nobody would get God's favor. When he says those whose walk is blameless, he means those whose walk is upright, those who are uh, in a right place before God and are walking with integrity b- before men. No good thing does he withhold, and that is exactly what I see demonstrated in Elisha's life. So I want you to look at it with me. We've already read it once. You know the end of the story, but I want to kind of walk back through it again. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8, the first verse that we read, it says, now, the king of Aram was at war with Israel, and after conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. Now, I, I laughed when I read that. I love it. And, and, and the reason that's funny to me is because, I mean, you know he didn't actually stand there with his soldiers in the war room and say, now, here's the plan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up camp in such and such a place. No, it had to be more detailed than that, right? I mean, you, you don't have a war plan by saying, I'm going to go to such and such a place. It's almost like, it's almost like the Holy Spirit directed the writer to, to write it that way, to communicate to us. Does the enemy have a plan of attack? Absolutely. Is he coming against you? Yes, he is. Does it matter the details of his plan? No, it does not. It's almost like if you were here saying, but, you know, the devil is really coming against me. He's trying to yada, yada, yada. But, hey, God is good. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like the writer is saying, look, you don't need to worry about the details of the schemes of the devil. You don't have to know the intricacies of how he's plotting against your life to know that he's a schemer, to know that he has a plan. Ephesians 6 tells us that we need to take our stand against the devil's schemes. We don't have to be an expert on uh, spiritual strategies of the devil to know that he's real, that he's against us. And I just love that, that the writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said, here's the plan. We're going to come and set up camp in, in such and such a place. See, the Bible says this in Romans 16, verse 19. It says, be excellent in what is good and be innocent of evil. Can, can I just ask you to help me make this a part of the culture of our church? We don't need to be experts in the schemes of the devil. You ought to be cautious and intentional in your conversation. When you're talking about a, a testimony of what God has done, don't spend too much time telling us about all the stuff he brought you out of. You know what I mean? I don't need an education on how to sin before you get to the good part about how God saved you. You know what I mean? And when you got a prayer need in your life, hey, I'm not saying that we got to go to the extreme of I can't even mention the word of my sickness because somehow that's a lack of faith, and if I say I'm sick, no, 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 that's rubbish. God's bigger than all that. You're not doing any detriment to your faith by saying, the doctor said I have this, or the doctor said I have that. But let's not go too far the other way either. When you've got a need in your life, let's not be experts on on the details of all that's wrong. Let's be quick to say, you know what, boy, the, the doctor gave me a bad diagnosis, Here's what I'm dealing with. But I tell you what, I read the word of God this week, and here's what God said I can have. Boy, you know, I, I'm struggling with one of my family members, and, and, and they're, they're making some bad choices. But you know what? We all have, and grace is greater than sin. I, I don't understand exactly how this is going to play out. I don't know what's going on in my life. But here's what I do know. Would you pray with me? Would you believe God with me? Let's not major on the enemy schemes, let's put our focus on what God wants to do, amen? Look at verse 9, it says, the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because of the Arameans, they're going down there, so the king of Israel, it says in verse 10, checked on that place indicated by the man of God, time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on guard. In such and such a place I don't know how it went down But apparently it was no secret That Elisha was the one communicating The plans of the king of Aram Because this soldier Behind enemy lines Says I can tell you exactly what's happening It's that prophet over there in Israel Every time you come up with a strategy for war He goes and he tells the king Exactly what you're going to do it kind of reminds, it's like the old cartoon, Roadrunner. How many of you remember Roadrunner and Wile e. Coyote? And the coyote always had some crazy contraption, some idea, but somehow Roadrunner was always two steps ahead, and it always backfired. I know this is getting really theological and deep, but stay with me. Can you imagine the frustration of the king of Aram? He's like, what's going on? And so now he's upset. Now he says, there's a mole. I mean, there's a double agent. There's a spy in the ranks, and I want to know who it is. Somebody here is telling them my strategy for war, and I want to know who it is. And, And down in verse 12, the servant says, it's none of us. It's that prophet Elisha. Look at the latter part of verse 12. It says, he tells the king of Israel the very words that you speak in your bedroom. And you know what that is? Elisha was not a double agent. Elisha wasn't a spy going back and doing a reconnaissance of information. No. Elisha was operating in the gifts of the Spirit. He was operating in the gifts. Can I tell you what the favor of God is? The favor of God is the power of God in your life. It's the power of God in your life. Now, I want to jump away from the text for just a minute because... I believe somebody needs to see this today, but over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible lists for us nine gifts of the Spirit, nine different manifestations of the favor of God, the power of God in the life of the church. And can I say to you today, the gifts of the Spirit are the fruit of God's favor in your life. When God favors you, you produce something. And what we produce is what the Bible calls the gifts of the Spirit. And there's nine of them here. I want you to just look at it with me quickly. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4 says, There's different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There's different kinds of service, but it's from the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, verse 6 says. But catch this, but in all of them and in everyone... It's the same God at work. Verse 7 reiterates that thought. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. You know what that tells me? That there is a gift that God has for everyone, for each one. And the gift of God in your life, the favor of God, which is the fruit of the Spirit, is for everyone. It's for the common good. So God's not blessing you just to bless you. He gave you something that's going to bless the rest of us. And, and then he lists them. I just want to read it quickly. And I would encourage you, reach out by faith and grab a hold of one of these for your own life. Verse 8 says, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge. That's what Elisha had, a word of knowledge, information that was, uh, he was not privy to. By means of the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. Now let me just stop right here and say, if you've got one of those last three, faith, healing, or miraculous powers, you better be on the altar team. I mean, come on. The Bible says this is the fruit of God's favor in our lives. Some of us, God gifts uniquely to have faith, to believe for miracles, to see healings. And then it says, to another, verse 10, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still, to another, the interpretation of tongues. But you gotta catch verse 11. Because this brings it all back together. It says in the next verse, All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And He, who? The Spirit, distributes them to each one just as He determines. That means that when you got saved, when you accepted Jesus into your heart, the Holy Spirit had a gift selected for you. Something that He wanted to use in you, For the common good, to be a blessing to the body of Christ. Now, you might say, well, I've never operated in one of those gifts. Listen, do you have to eat the fruit of a tree for it to be a fruit tree? No. You know the potential is in there to produce something. It's going to take time. It's going to take development. It's going to take a season change. But there is fruit that can come out of that tree, and it's the same in your life. God's favor is his power flowing through your life. And the gifts of the Spirit are the fruit of God's favor in the church. Now look back with me at our story in 2 Kings chapter 4 because I really want to get back to the good stuff. Verse 13, the king tells him to go out and to find Elisha. And the report came back, he's in Dauphin. Can I just say hiding is not a good strategy for spiritual warfare? (laughs) I mean, this this is not complicated. Like, I want you to go find him. He's in Dolphin. Oh, okay. The devil knows where you're at. Okay, you're not hiding under the steeple this morning. Hiding is not a good strategy for spiritual warfare. But they send him out to go and to, to find the man of God. And the Bible says they went out in verse 14 with a strong force. Horses and chariots. a strong force. Can I say that's the way the enemy comes at us? He comes with a strong force sometimes against us. And when you're in a place of warfare, and maybe you feel like you're in that place today, but when you're in a place of spiritual warfare, you need to know. You need to have some strategies for warfare. And that's that's what I see in this story. God giving us the strategies. I've already told you how he gives us power. He gives us his power as his favor. But he also gives us peace. And that's what we see Elisha having. I mean, can you just imagine the story? The Bible says the servant of Elijah, or Elisha, walks out of the house that morning. Now, the house was on the side of a mountain. And I can just, in my mind, picture him. He goes out, he picks up the morning paper. He's got his coffee in hand. He's looking at the headlines. He kind of glances around, goes back in the house. He's half awake, and then it dawns on him what he just saw. He runs back out of the house and he looks. And the Bible says there were horses and chariots all around him. And he runs back into the house in verse 15 and he says, Oh, no, my Lord. What shall we do? What shall we do? Maybe that's been the script of your prayer life lately. Oh, no, my Lord. What shall we do? What are we going to do now? Look, they've surrounded us. They've come against us. And Elisha speaks up and he says, don't be afraid. Now, I I mean, put yourself in the story. If I'm the servant and I've just seen what I've seen and I come back in and I'm panicking and and the prophet of God says, don't be afraid, I'm thinking, that's exactly what I'm being right now. I'm afraid. Like, I don't think your math is right. Because Elisha says, there are more for us than there are against us. The favor of God is the peace of God. The Bible says that he'll give peace that surpasses understanding. That means it doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense if you have the peace of God. That's, That's the reality that Elisha is walking in. The Bible doesn't even indicate that he went outside to look. He doesn't go out and count them. He doesn't survey the scene. He's still in the house. He's sipping tea. He's having a nice morning, and his servant is freaking out. Have you seen what's out there? Have you seen who is against us? Have you seen how many they've brought? And Elisha has the mind of the Lord. He has peace. He defies logic. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, lean not on your own understanding. The reason it tells us not to lean on it is because there's going to be a moment in your life where it's not going to hold up. And if you put your weight on your understanding, you're going to fall. So the promise is that there is a peace that surpasses understanding. It's more stable than understanding. It's more logical than logic. And Elisha says a prayer in verse 17. It says, And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord. So that he may see. That's the prayer I'm praying for you today. Just o- open our eyes, Lord. I mean, if we could, if we could just see. If we could, if we could know, if we could see, everything would be different. He said, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha, Can you just envision that moment? He goes back out to take another look. And and this time, not only does he see the, the army of Syria surrounding him, but surrounding them, he sees a greater army. He sees the chariots and the horsemen of the angel armies surrounding his enemies. All of a sudden, his perspective changes. Can I tell you what the favor of God is in your life? It's perspective. That's what the favor of God does. It doesn't change the circumstances. It changes the perspective on them. When the favor of God is there, we have power from God. We have peace from God that's indescribable. And we have a perspective and an outlook on what we're facing. And ultimately, we have God's protection over our lives. You read that, you go, yeah, but does that happen today? I mean, come on. does Does that happen today? Absolutely. Absolutely it happens. So You say, how do you know? I'll tell you how I know. Because we see the pattern in the strategy of Satan all through the word of God. And it's communicated clearly in the the New Testament that he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's his MO. He wants to take you out. He knows how the story ends. He's got nothing but a lake of fire to look forward to. So his MO is to take as many people down with him as possible. Now let me ask you a question. If that's the strategy of the enemy, and he could do what he wanted to do, do you think any of us would be here right now? Do you think the light of the gospel would still be shining in 2018? Do you think the church would have survived all of the persecutions, all of the imprisonments, all of the martyrdom? Do you think that that you would still have health in your body and breath in your lungs to proclaim the gospel? I mean, just consider for a moment the the desire of the enemy. reality is we, we stress and we get anxious and we fret over the battle that we can see. But the reality is there's an angel army that surrounds your life. God is fighting battles for you that you didn't even know you had. I mean, we spent Thursday praying for miracles. Tom wasn't praying for a miracle. He didn't know he needed one. God was just fighting a battle for him, just winning a victory. The devil wanted to take him out, and God said, no, I'm going to save him in his senior years. I'm going to take a guy, and I love in his testimony, he said, I didn't even deserve a miracle. None of us do. None of us do, but he's fighting battles for us, right and left. He's toppling adversaries right and left. So we we don't have to be consumed with the, the numbers that rise against us. What we need to do is say, God, open my eyes so that I can see the heavenly host that surrounds me, that surrounds my enemy. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in this world. If God be for me, who can be against me? No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Why? Because he's fighting my battles for me. See, Elisha Elisha didn't fret. You know why? Because this wasn't the first time Elisha had seen the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. You know why? Because in his younger years, he went after the heart of God. So boldly, so audaciously, that he had the guts to ask the old prophet Elijah, Can I have a double portion of your spirit? And Elijah said to him, If you see me when I depart... You can have it. And he made up his mind to go all in and go hard after the heart of God. And the Bible says that when the chariots of heaven came down and swooped up the prophet Elijah in a whirlwind and carried him back up into heaven, Elisha stood there and he watched it. And he picked up the mantle. And he walked into God's call. And he sat there. In his house that day, while his servant was panicking and fretting. Because he knew. He knew that God fights for him. He knew that God had angel armies. He knew that the psalmist was right when he said, God has given his angels charge over you. See, maybe you've never seen the chariots. You know what? Tom has seen the chariots. He's experienced it. He felt it firsthand, and there's others here that you know. It's undeniable. I've seen God do it. I know God can do it. I'm not even worried about the such and such and the strategies of the devil. I mean, yada, 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 the devil's bad, but God is good, and he's for me. He's not against me, and victory is mine in Jesus' name. Would you stand to your feet with me all over this room? Some of you need to just reach out by faith and grab your victory today. I want to pray a prayer for you, over you, and we're going to open these altars. It's, it's 1230 now, but we're going to take just a few moments, and I want to open these altars. And wow. <clears throat> In fact, in just a minute, I'm going to have them play that song we sang earlier. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And this is how I fight my battles. I'm going to intentionally turn my face away from the plans of the enemy, from the lies of the enemy, from the strategies of the devil, from the wins and the lost column. And I'm going to look higher today. Because there is more for me than there is against me. Father, I pray today, right now, that all over this room, you would just arrest our hearts with your Holy Spirit. God, for those that have struggled and fought against sin, and continually they've lost, and they felt like they don't measure up, and that that they just don't, they're not good enough. God, today, help them to see, Jesus, you fought that battle for them and won. At the cross, God, you defeated death, hell, and the grave. And our victory is not in our striving. Our victory is not in our our morality. Our victory is not in our biblical understanding or even in our church attendance. Our victory is in Jesus. Right now, God, if there's anyone that doesn't know you, I pray that they would just in this moment reach for you. Reach for you with all of their heart.